0: to season three of Gill Athletics Connection Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited you hit the play button today. If you like what you hear, check out our library of hundreds of past guests that is sure to give you value. For everyone else, we're so happy you've come back quick favor, if you haven't already, consider taking a minute to rate and review the podcast. This simple act helps amplify these amazing stories, and we just love to hear your feedback. Heck, we may even read it out loud in a future episode. Okay, that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get to it. See what today's guest has in store for us.
1: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to chop it up with this uh, guest today. You know, normally we bring in coaches from literally around the world to uplift and honor their journey in this great profession. Well, today we're going to kind of flip it up. This is actually our very first student athlete. Uh, We're going to be talking all about NIL. I'm going to say it wrong a thousand times. I'm going to say NLI and NIL and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But this guest today has been kind of on the forefront of NIL for track and field. Help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Mr. Foreigner hurdles himself, Trevor Bassett from Ashland University. Trevor, thanks for being on the show, man.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: So, you, you know, you've done it all. Well, you haven't done it all. You are doing it all <laughs> currently as a student <laughs> athlete there at uh, Ashland University, uh, 48.4 uh, in a hurdle, which is just amazing. Your guest number 153, I have to know, have you ever run a half mile? Because I, I think you could run 153 in the half mile.
2: I've ran eight hundred. It was about two or three years ago indoors on a 200 flat track. Definitely did not run 153. I ran a two flat. And I think if I trained for it long enough, I could run a 153. But I do not want to train for it. I would not be that good at it. So I don't think I will ever run a 153.
1: So they've never thrown you in like a the 800 leg of a DMR or a 4x8 at a relay carnival?
2: <laughs> no, I've done the 400 leg of a DMR, but yeah. not the 800 leg, no.
1: <laughs> well, uh, that makes a lot of sense. If you're that good at the 400 and 400 hurdles, man, just just stick there. You're good. You're, do, you're doing a good job. Obviously, the coaches are steering <laughs> you in the right direction. So uh, yeah. you're doing a great job there. So if you don't know Trevor as a student athlete, real quick, I mean, just let's check off the authenticity mark here. Uh, my man is the Indoor 400 Silver Medalist for the World Indoor Championships, not NCAA, World Indoor Championships uh, here just recently this past winter uh, in the 400 Open. Uh, and then, a, as, like I said, a 48 point on the 400 hurdles, uh, multi-time All-American and National Champion, and because I think Bershan listens to this Bershon Jackson new head mm-hmm. coach at St. Augustine's by the way who owns the D2 national record for the 400 hurdles uh Trevor said he has it on his target board he's going for it so uh I can't mm-hmm. wait to see it and obviously if anybody can do it Trevor golly man you're, you're right there so go google his name that sounds so uh Grandiose, but it's true. If you want to know more about Trevor and his athleticism, man, he, he's got it all. Go check it out. Uh, on top of that, he's at Ashland University, a great university uh, there in Ohio. And, you know, we're all about honoring coaches and uplifting their journeys. And we've had two of his uh, now former coaches uh, in one way, shape or form uh, here on the podcast early, early on at the Gill Connections podcast. We were blessed to have Trevor's uh, hurdle sprint coach, Ernie Clark on the show now at San Jose State University. Uh, it's funny. I want to go back. I need to go back and listen to that episode, Trevor, because we talked about you because that would have been mm. two years ago. So you'd have been a sophomore. What, what were you running besides two flat on the uh, indoor 800? Mm. What, what, what was your PR back then in the 400 hurdles you think in the sophomore year
2: I was uh 50.8
1: yeah so here we were probably talking to you about this hey here's this kid 50.8 and that's nothing to sneeze at right uh it was like yeah I I remember him saying like hey this kid's special like he's gonna blow that out the water (laughs) boy was he right good good job Ernie. (laughs) uh and then uh a few episodes later we had the now late uh great Judd Logan the head coach uh, of of Ashland University who has recently passed away love the Logan family you probably don't know Trevor uh one of my very First, hires here at Gale Athletics was Nate Logan, Judd's son. So, okay, uh, yeah, so I, I love the Logan family, man. So, go back <laughs> and listen to those uh, podcasts, uh, it'll be kind of a history lesson with Trevor, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so today we are going to talk about NIL. Uh, if you don't know what that means, it means, it's just kind of acronyms that stands for name, image, and likeness. And our guy Trevor here is kind of on the forefront, doing a lot of things. It's affected his life, his collegiate life as well. Uh, we're going to learn about that. And uh, so I just thought you know, we'd have Trevor on. He was on a podcast recently, Christy Dosh's uh, Game Face podcast. She has a couple of podcasts. And I was listening to it and just made me think like you know, there's coaches out there that don't know what or why nil is some think it's not a great idea i thought we would just bring in someone who's kind of making the gameplay right now he's actually writing the script on what nil looks like for track athletes to kind of explain it so trevor i'm going to shut up now (laughs) tell us let's start with give us your kind of definition of nil and, and quick um i don't know cya i guess here you know Trevor is not a lawyer, nor a NCAA administrator, etc. Neither am I. Uh, so this is, there, there's no advice here. Don't go out and get yourself in trouble. Don't go and get yourself ineligible. Uh, don't break any recruiting rules or whatever. I don't know how all that fits into it. Uh, we're just going to get one person's opinion of, and experiences uh, at NIL today. So Trevor, start with telling us kind of layman's term. What is NIL?
2: Yeah, so like you said, I'm going to be telling you about my experience with NIL and kind of like the athlete's approach to it and how it looks like for us. So NIL, like you said, it's name, image, likeness. To really boil it down, it's essentially what NIL is. It's the college athlete's ability to use their status, their stature as a college athlete to profit, to make money, essentially. So for the longest time, we've seen it with like college basketball and college football, right? these athletes where they could sign a deal with like a local restaurant right they weren't allowed to but now they could and then you can make money off of it like the best track example is i think i know matt bowling has a sponsorship the sprinter georgia i think he has an nil deal with dunkin donuts right so name image likeness is essentially being able to use your status as a collegiate athlete as a high level athlete to get sponsorships, to represent companies,
1: to help kind of put some money in your pocket, is essentially
2: what it boils down to.
1: So before NIL, you as a student athlete, now the rules are different for regular students, you couldn't, this is this is a question mark, you couldn't go out and even get a, a, a job like that. Like you could go get a job and be like a, a waiter or whatnot at a restaurant or, or whatnot, but you couldn't get like a, hey, XYZ restaurant is my favorite restaurant. We go there every Sunday after track meets or whatever. You weren't allowed to use that, like you said, I think you said stature of being an athlete. Yeah, no. High publicity at all, right?
2: Yeah, no, you could not do that.
1: And if I remember correctly, there were even some restrictions on just your overall earning. That waiter example, like there was some cap on that, I think, because I remember there being a pretty famous case. uh, Northwestern football player was going to be in a commercial or a play or something like that. And he had like even before he had become a football player was in acting and they said he couldn't because because you're a football player first, not a human, <laughs> a student first. Um, and then I think there's been some uh, examples in track where maybe there was an athlete at maybe it was Texas A&M who had a really uh, high profile YouTube channel again before they, they went to Texas A&M and incidentally said, No, you, you can't do it because you're an athlete first, not a, a student first.
2: Yeah, the best example I can think of is there was a football player. There's a kicker at UCF. I think he's still, I think it was that, his name's like at Destroying or something like that. And he was a kicker for UCF and he had this super popular YouTube channel. And the NCAA flat came out and told him like, you either need to right. stop using this, like stop making YouTube videos or you're not allowed to play college football. And he was making really good money off this. So he's like, all right, I guess I'm just done playing college football. he's like, I'm not, cause <laughs> like, I like football, but I'm not going to pass up on that. And those are examples where like, NIL has been needed for a long time because you have people who are doing something that they love, giving fans great access, like through a YouTube channel, through Day in the Life things. But if you made a single penny off it, NCA is knocking on your door. So this is something where it's long overdue that I've always felt like it's long overdue. And it's kind of giving these athletes more freedom to grow themselves, grow their personal brand when they're at the peak of their popularity pretty much.
1: And why do you think – and this is just your – I mean, you're a senior now, so what are you? Are you 21 years old at this point? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a
2: fifth-year senior, so I, I'm getting my master's right now, yeah.
1: So you're like 30 years old? How old? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 24. 24. Okay, so you're 24. So you were looking at an athlete, a uh, graduate student, 24-year-old perspective here. Uh, but wh- why do you think the NCAA had this restriction of like, hey, because you're an athlete, you cannot – make money off of the, your name or your image or your likeness? What, what do you think their reasoning was?
2: So the NCA was founded. I've done a ton of research on this, right? Oh, my, my senior project in high school was why college athletes should be paid. And then freshman year of college, they wouldn't let me do that again. So I did why division two athletes should be paid. So I've done a lot of research on this. So the NCA was founded and it's fa- it was founded around this statement of amateurism, okay? Which at the time was true. But as college sports have gotten bigger, the NCAA has become a billion-dollar revenue company. They're a nonprofit, which means they just spend it all, right? Nonprofits make money. They just have to spend all the money. So they had this, what became a false sense of amateurism, in my opinion, because I have a hard time believing that you're calling college athletes, at least for football and basketball, Division One, you're calling them amateur athletes but the NCA makes over a billion dollars off of March Madness, makes over a billion dollars from the college football playoff. So it quickly turned into just being the NCA saying it's amateurism just because they, that's how it's always been. So they were very much against it because, and we're seeing it now, once NIL has passed, the NCA has lost a lot of power over athletes, over programs, which is part of the reason why NIL is kind of still a it's still a a gray area because the NCA hasn't passed down really any set legislation. It's really, it's different from state to state. The NCA has some overlying rules that applies to everything. Like you can't do sponsorships with alcohol companies, drugs, gambling, all of that stuff. But outside of that, there's really no set structure. There's no set rules, which is why you're seeing all this stuff with college football, like, these NIL collective schools are forming that some people think is just a way to pay off athletes. I don't think that's the case. I just think it's ways to kind of like promote their school and show that they're really all in on NIL. But so the long-winded answer to the question, I think the NCAA was really against it because it kind of, it gets rid of that sense of amateurism the NCAA was founded on. Granted, I think it had been gone for a while and then it just kind of leads the NCAA to not having as much power which if you're a governing body, you want as much power as possible. So that's not anything against them. That's just kind of how the world works.
1: And full disclosure, uh, I should have done this at the beginning of the podcast, but Gill Athletics, we are the equipment sponsors for NCAA track and field championships. So all three indoor championships, all three outdoors, plus the uh, the two first rounders for division one. Uh, So just full disclosure that, you know, we have a relationship with uh, an NCAA that we love. Uh, it's one of our greatest joys is to, to see you running over those hurdles at, at uh, Division II's, man. it's just, It really is just a fantastic joy. So just full disclosure there that there is definitely a valued relationship between NCAA and Gale Athletics. Uh, but gr- great point there, Trevor, because if I remember correctly, um, when you talk about amateurism, you know the Olympics, uh, I'm probably getting some history incorrect here, but maybe you uh, did this as part of your research uh, papers the Olympics for a long time, there were no professional athletes. Like if you got paid, you could not be in the Olympics. That's why we had college kids for the basketball team for such a long time. Uh, there was the huge, you know, during the Prefontaine era, and I'm sure in different eras where the athletes, you know, again, they need to get paid, this is their job. But as soon as you made a dollar from a shoe company, you couldn't go to the Olympics and things like that. So this is, this is probably what you're describing there. This is not new in the sense of- No. Hey, here's something you know, we have control over. Uh, we're scared of what the, the of not having that control, right? That makes a lot of sense. There, there's been uh, uh, many, many things throughout the NCAA that people thought was going to destroy amateur NCAA athletics. Um, there used to be, I don't know if you know this, Trevor, back in the day when you went to college, you as a high school senior, you could not compete as a freshman. You ha- It was like a, an automatic redshirt year. No freshmen mm-hmm. were allowed to compete. And so when they were changing that, that was going to be the end of college college athletics, <laughs> <I always laughs> freshman to play was just going to destroy uh, NCAA athletics as we we know it. And obviously, as you know, now that, you know, that's not that's a blip, right? Every freshman, uh, mostly, yeah. competes, you know, at this point, so there's always things like that. So thanks for that explanation. That's uh, awesome. Appreciate that. How has NIL affected you? Uh, I did not realize that you have actually been kind of looking at this since senior year, if not before high school, you've actually like this isn't something you just fell into. You, you've kind of been tracking along uh, with this uh, legislation or uh, release of the rule, if you will. Um, how has it affected you? you? You had a bang out junior year last year, you know, making the finals of the Olympic trials, probably I assume could have gone pro as a track athlete there, but yet you came back for another year at Ashland. Did NIL have anything to do with that? And, and how, how did it affect you?
2: Yeah. So I've always been interested in the whole NIL aspect because as someone, I've been a diehard sports fan forever. So for me, I've always, I've always looked at things from the athlete's perspective. So I will say, if it sounds like I'm being biased towards favoring athletes, it's because I am, I am an athlete myself. And I've always looked at it from that perspective. So I've always been interested because I felt like for a while, at least the top level D1, D1 athletes kind of got the raw end of the deal with the whole March Madness revenue, stuff like that. But so that's why I've always been interested in it. When it comes to me personally for NIL, I was kind of lucky because the plan for me was to make the Olympic team. If I made the Olympic team, I was going to turn pro. So for me to prepare for turning pro, I understand that pro track and field is a business. And I have to do a lot more things myself to make to be profitable in that because it's not as necessarily high revenue of a pro sports career as other pro sports. So I got these books about marketing yourself, about branding. So I had all this stuff laid out for when I became a pro athlete and I didn't make the Olympic team. So then I had a decision to make and I wasn't really sure what to do. And then that was right around the time NIL was about to pass. Like NIL was going to pass within the following week. And like that information had gotten out. So once that happened and I realized that I was like, okay, I can come back to college. I can get my master's degree. I can use what I've already kind of learned myself to build my brand and be profitable still as a college athlete. So then being able to make money off of my name image likeness while still going to college with all that stuff I'd already kind of prepared for the pro aspect, it became a no brainer for me.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting on the track side, especially because you're right. You, you know, when a, a college football player goes pro, even if they don't get drafted, they you know if they only make um, uh, some free agency or teams, they still get paid a decent amount of money. A yeah. kid is just on his own if you don't start winning races, right? If, if you don't exactly, you know, so it's a, a lot tougher there. So. um, and, you know, you're spoiled as a college kid. And I mean that in a good way, meaning someone mm-hmm. else, someone else books all your travel for you. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you have a masseuse and a physio in the mm-hmm. training room. That's all stuff you got to find on your own when you're exactly. uh, on that next level. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So how have you gone about NIL as, as this past year? Um, you talked about researching a lot of uh, branding and marketing books. What was what, what was your undergrad and what is, what are you working on your master's?
2: So I got my undergrad in sport management with a finance minor. And then I just finished my MBA in executive management
1: uh, okay. Overachiever much. That's great. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all that while running 48 point. Okay. Wow. I start mm-hmm. my, my college, uh, life is starting to look a lot less, man. That makes me feel better. Uh, no, that's awesome, man. So what have you been doing in wise, all those things that you are studying for branding, marketing, what, what has been that, that summer this past summer through fall. And even now, as you start into outdoor season.
2: Yeah. So for me, what I found through like reading books, talking to people that have been there, done that, I found the most important thing with branding is you have to make your own, you have to figure out how you're going to brand yourself. Okay. And you have to stay authentic to that. You have to be true to who you are. Because if you're not true to who you are, let's say you sign a deal with a brand that you don't like or that you don't use, they're just paying you a lot. All of a sudden, it starts to become a chore. It becomes really hard. You can't, you don't really put as much into it as you should because it's not authentic. Right. So for me, I've always made sure to reach out to brands that I've used, that I like to use or that I even want to use. Brands that I know are high quality products, they align with myself and how I want to position myself. So with that being the case, when I have to do, say, an Instagram post or I have to do an Instagram story, a tweet, something of that nature, it's not hard for me to do because I already use the product. So I can just have someone take a picture of me using the product, take some time, come up with my caption, boom, put it out there. And I mean, people people are smart, right? You can see, you can tell when someone's not being true to themselves. You can tell when someone's doing something just for the money, just for a paycheck. So when that becomes the case, brands are already going to be less likely because they're like, we know you don't really, like they're like, we're going to pay you money to do this. But then they're going to find out pretty quickly that it's like, okay, you're just in this for the paycheck. You don't actually really align yourself with our product. So for me, I've always, I've been aggressive about it. So I never hesitate to reach out to companies. The second NIL pass, I reached out to just about every major, uh, like Gatorade, Powerade reached out to as many companies as I could, because for me, the worst thing they can say is no, or they cannot respond. So for me, it's not a big deal. Best case scenario, they respond. They're like, okay, they're like, we don't really want to do a deal, but we'll send you like a free shirt or something. All right, cool. I got a free shirt. So for me, and that's the number one thing I tell athletes when I'm asked about it, like on Christie's podcast, they asked me about it. I said, reach out, do not hesitate to reach out to company, because the worst thing you're going to do is not respond or say no. And then if they don't respond or say no, just delete the message, boom, like it never happened.
1: Yeah. And so I'll play the other side of it, the, the company, right? Um, as, yeah. much, as much as you know, you are really carving this new path, right? Like there's not a game plan in front of you. It's like, oh yeah, look at all the other track athletes and how they did it. Trevor, just follow that game plan. You're, You're making the game plan. The other side of it, companies like, like Gill Athletics, we're trying to figure out, this is brand new for us as well. So, yeah. so we occasionally will, will get you know messages from athletes and stuff, and we're still trying to figure out, like, what do we do? You know, we don't want to, uh, my, my biggest fear as a former college coach myself is I don't ever want to screw up a kid's eligibility. Like, that's always my, like, uh, how do we make sure yeah. we're within the rules of whatever, rules that aren't there? So the NCAA, when it came out last summer of like, okay, uh, athletes, you can start, Profiting off of your name, image, and likeness, there was a lot of—I'm sorry, there was a lot of lack of guidance. There wasn't any rules, salary caps, uh, the the rules about you know alcohol and gambling, and uh, sites like their companies like that. You can't do. Um, But I believe one of the rules—you—you correct me—is. The NIL has to be the payment has to be because you are providing a service, you the athlete, not because you are a good athlete. So we we can't just give you a check because hey man, Trevor, you ran forty eight point. Hey, if you run half, eight and a half, we're gonna give you a thousand dollar bonus. Like we can't do that, right? It has to be a, a tweet or something else in that side of things, right?
2: Yeah, correct. You have to as an athlete, you have to provide a service because you can't pay for plays not allowed, and those things specifically not allowed is pay for play. So there can't be any performance incentives or anything like that. And another thing is that, which I don't know how they check this, but I know it's in the rule book that you have to be paid what's considered a fair price for your service. So it's not like I can just say, it's not like you can be like, hey, we wanna pay you a lot of money, Uh, do this Instagram post, we're gonna give you $50,000. Now there are athletes who their Instagram posts are worth that much. And there's different sites, there's different NIL companies that can evaluate how much your posts are worth. Mm-hmm. But for me, because I've done the research before, I think for me, an Instagram post is supposed to be worth around like 150 bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if a company comes in, they're like, hey, Trevor, we're going to give you $50,000 for this Instagram post. And I post it and like say word got out about it. And like the NCAA wanted to investigate it. They're like, okay, Trevor, this company paid you $50,000 for this post. But it says here your valuation is only around one hundred fifty dollars per post. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And then it would be a deeper investigation, and things would go into that. So there, it cannot be pay per play, and the the payment has to be somewhat of a fair market value for the service you're providing.
1: That, that helps pre- prevent a uh, a booster from coming in who owns a company saying, "Hey, uh, I know you thought about transferring. I'm going to pay you fifty thousand for a post. You, you stay." Uh, even though you you know, the value is supposed to be 150 whatever dollars. I yeah, which
2: that. which that's also where things kind of get tricky too, because fair market value. You're worth whatever the market says you're worth, right? Like if that, it's like let's say my fair market value is fifty thousand, but if every company I talk to says my value is five thousand, then what does that valuation really mean? Right. So that's where things can kind of get tricky.
1: And your value is different in different markets, right? Like in the track and field, your value may be much higher because you know people know you in the track and field world. Where a um, uh, a basketball website may say, "Yeah, he's not worth that much to us because he's a track Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes a lot of sense.
2: So that's where things with the fair market value can get tricky,
1: right? And and with no guidance or rules, it's up to interpretation at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And we talked a lot about social media for this. Is this 99.9% 99.9% of social media play for athlete and in, in, uh, businesses?
2: For what I've seen, yeah. I mean, social media is essentially the best marketing there is, right? Athlete sponsorship and social media is the best way to do it because all of college, pretty much every college athlete's on social media in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. right? We're college kids. We love social media. So we're already using it. So a company's like, hey, this kid has a couple thousand followers. He's a college student. Let's give him X amount of dollars to promote our company. When in reality, if you think about it, for a company to buy an advertisement to say, okay, let's look at it this way. Let's say company A, they can either buy a slot for an ad on Instagram for a week. An ad on Instagram for a week is pretty expensive, right? I don't know the exact price, but it's expensive. So there's that. Or they're like, okay, we can sponsor seven college athletes pay them half of whatever this Instagram thing was going to be, and then they'll post something once a month. And we then get essentially seven free advertisements once a month for significantly less money than what we were going to have to pay Instagram. So it's a win for the company because they get credibility because it's an athlete that a lot of people trust and follow. They get multiple posts, so even more promotion, Mm -hmm. and the company's saving money doing it. And then the athletes benefit because they're being sponsored by a product that they use and enjoy, and they're benef- They're also receiving money or merchandise off of it. So both sides are benefiting there, and it just makes sense for both sides.
1: Are you beholden as the athlete to give the company, like, uh, I don't necessarily want to say proof that you posted. I mean, that's the easy thing, right? Maybe tagging them or whatever. But do you have to share the actual analytics of that post and how well it did or
2: I have not had to yet, no. Normally I just have to tag them. Uh, Sometimes I have to use certain hashtags, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, I haven't had to share any analytics or anything. I have had companies ask before to look at my own analytics and post it when like my views are higher, which I always do anyway, just because that's better to grow social media but I haven't had to specifically share anything with them about it. They're just kind of like trusting me.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So your own, cause you're right, you know, depending on the account and how you post and when you post and the people that follow you and, and the people that you follow, the, the time of your post will do better or not better depending on the day of the week and the time of the day. So, exactly. you, yeah, so you're, you're in tune. So on all these marketing and um, branding uh, studies have you done, have you started delving specifically into the social media side of like, you know, best practices on post and timing and things like that?
2: Yeah, for me, so I've found for my personal account that I get more views when I post between 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then around 6 to 8 p.m., because that's normally people's lunch breaks. That's when people go, that's when costumes go to lunch. And that times, that's when people for dinner, that's when people are going home. That's dinner time, that's afternoon, when I just kind of hang out the house scrolling on social media. So the days of the week have kind of been the same regardless for me, but it's normally around those two like hot zones of times where I get way more activity.
1: Do you do anything outside of social for companies like um, uh, catalog imagery or, um, I don't know, maybe local like autograph sessions at the local car shop or anything like that? Or is it- I mean,
2: I haven't I w- been asked to yet by any companies. I would because, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a good amount of free time with my degree being wrapped up. So I'm not really in classes anymore and then practice being a couple hours a day outside. that, So I have time to do it. I just haven't been asked to.
1: So, okay. Great background there, Trevor. Appreciate that very much. So in the, you know, I live in the coaching world. That's, I mean, every minute of my day, I am talking to a uh, track coach or thinking about talking to a crowd. That's my, my life, right? Like your, your life is hurdles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my life is coaches, right? And there is, and I'm a big, you know, social media, in fact, that's how you and I reach out to each other, right? <laughs> it was through, through Twitter. Right? As everybody knows, yeah. I live on Twitter. So, uh, there is, uh, I'm going to be very elementary school here and put it down into two camps, but it's much more complicated. There's several different camps, but primarily there's two camps. There are coaches who think, uh, I'll say there's three camps. There's coaches who have no idea what NIL, it's brand new. They just, you know, so they don't even touch it. They don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. They just, I don't know guys, what in the heck is this? Uh, another camp is coaches who think NIL is, uh, way overdue, should have been done, years ago. Uh, these are students for student athletes. Why can't they make money? Just like the math kid, the math major, the theater major, etc. Uh, and then there's a third camp of coaches. I think this is th- this is terrible. We're just opening up an unbelievable can of worms uh, for cheating. Uh, I don't think they, they necessarily think that the kids shouldn't make money. I don't think they necessarily have a problem with that. I think their main concerns are uh, taking away from your time of your, your books. You, you do have to you know, get your grades uh, and your athletics. And we already know those two things alone take up Gosh, an inordinate amount of time as a as a college yeah. student, no matter what sport you're doing. Uh, and now we're going to add this. You've got to worry about what the hashtag and when to send. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we won't even talk about it. But there's tax implications here. You're you're there's a whole different <laughs> you're in a whole different world <laughs> now. Not just a student athlete. You're you're a business person, right? Uh, wh- why should if a coach is listening right now and they're like, man, I don't know why Mike has this guy on here. NIL (laughs) is going to destroy track and field, it's going to destroy NCAA, what would be your um, suggestion of why a coach should help uh, their student athletes NIL ambitions?
2: So the reason you should, regardless of what your thoughts are, is because it's happening, whether you as a coach like or not, it's happening, unless you're a specific school says we're not allowing NIL which I would not recommend. I think that'll put you as a program at a severe disadvantage. It's going to happen whether you like it or not as a coach. And I think, like you said, those coaches in those first two parties of coaches that have no idea what's going on, they're going to be hands-off and coaches that are for it, they're going to be in a way better spot. Because also at the end of the day, which we're going to, I assume we're going to ask this question anyway, there's not, coaches can't be too heavily involved in NIL, right? Because those are kind of the rules. So Nil is pretty much going to be essentially between the athlete, the company, and the compliance director. Mm. So for me with my deals, I have to send the contracts and the deals to our compliance director. He looks over, makes sure it's okay, then he sends it, then he gives me the okay, then I can sign and start doing things. As a coach, I don't know exactly how the rules are for coaches. I don't think you can like use it as you, as you, yeah, sorry. I don't think you can use it as a recruiting pitch. I don't, you're not allowed to negotiate deals for athletes. You're not allowed to help athletes get deals. I don't believe all you can do as a coach. I'm pretty sure is to essentially support your athletes in doing it, steer them towards your compliance director, the compliance director, make sure the kids stay eligible and make sure the deals are okay. And then the athlete pretty much does a lot of it on their own. When it comes to the tax implications, that's something that's super tricky for me being a business guy. I immediately made an Excel sheet. I have marked down every dollar I've made from NIL, how I made it, what I did to earn it. So that when it comes time to tax season, I can give it to my parents' tax guy and he can help me out with it. Uh,
1: now I just feel bad for compliance directors because I, I didn't know what the coach's it, role, it's its on them, huh?
2: Yeah, it's a whole its a whole other can of worms. For, and I feel bad too for compliance directors. It's like at Ashland, we have one compliance director. We have mm-hmm. one one guy, he's already overseeing all this stuff for sports. Right. Now there's NIL. Right. So now they have to take care of that. Some schools have multiple, which that's the case. Good. That's great. But for a lot of compliance directors, especially yeah. as NIL becomes more common, more mainstream, because as of right now, NIL is almost primarily Division One sports, right? You don't see too many Division Two athletes getting into it, whereas I'm kind of, I've been more Forward about it. Like you said, I've been on the forefront with it. But I think over the next couple of years, we'll see NIL really start to trickle down into other sports, other teams. And then it becomes a compliance director. They're going to get a lot busier, even at the smaller schools. I just saw, I think, I think it was USC. It might have been USC, it might have been the Pac-12 as a whole. Someone proposed a rule that of the total NIL pool from like the NIL collectives you're seeing at these big D1 programs they have to set aside a certain percentage of the money to give to all of the college athletes. I don't know how that rule is going to go, if it's going to pass or what are the can of worms that's going to open. Mm. But that is something I just saw that I just thought I'd throw in there since we're talking about name image likeness.
1: Yeah. You brought up collectors. I want to, I've got it in my notes. We're going to circle back around okay. because that's something I don't really understand either, but yeah, uh, but we'll talk about that. What have you, again, you know, I, I love that what I love about podcasts, Trevor, is you know, they're they're evergreen. Meaning, this podcast will live out there forever. So, five years yeah. from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, we're going to be able to come back and listen to this. You know, you're going to be a, a CEO of your own company at that <laughs> point, in twenty years, and be like, "Man, look what Trevor was doing back in twenty twenty two, and maybe in twenty forty four, it's." commonplace. Ever, it's everywhere. I just yeah. love, love this uh, you know, real ground floor. We're not even on the ground floor, man. We're like still in the basement trying to figure out mm-hmm. how, to, how to get to the ground floor. So as someone who's, you know, again, you're finding your way and figuring this out. And uh, you were just a lot earlier than maybe some other people that are starting to figure it out. Now. Do you like where do you get guidance from? Like, do you reach out to other athletes? Um, business? Owners? I don't know. Where, where do you like kind of you have a question? Who, who do you go to?
2: So when it comes to guidance, the book I read that I'll still reference now, like I'll go back and reread it is Athletes Are Brands Too by Jeremy Darlow is a fantastic, he has multiple books about like branding, all of that stuff. But that one's specifically towards athletes. It's mainly for professional athletes. However, all of the concepts still apply to college athletes. So that's the main book I've been reading. And then I haven't really gotten much guidance outside of that because I'm mainly just going to. I'm gonna keep building my brand as it is. As my brand grows, I'll reach out to a company here and there, see if there's any extra interest. Companies that have said no to me before, I've reached out back to again, since getting silver at worlds, since my Instagram has been growing more, just to see if there's any interest there. If there's not, okay, no harm, no foul, not offended in any way. I'll just, I'll reach back out to you in a couple months. Like, so that's just kind of how it's been for me when it comes to guidance. I've just been reading up on things and then not being afraid to get rejected by companies
1: athletes are brands too
2: yes okay by jeremy darlow
1: i'll put that in the show notes maybe an amazon link or something that's that's good to have a kind yeah. of resource there uh, you know one of the things you were on so christy has at least two podcasts uh the one you were on is called game face and i think that focuses yes. on a lot of nil activities a lot of uh, i want to call it more athlete focused if you will and then she has another one called um like the uh, sports biz miz i believe it is yes uh and that's the one that's how i actually found her was through her newsletter and through this and on one of those i can't remember which one game face or sports Biz Miz. she had uh i think she recorded it for game face and then also put it on sports Biz Miz. but she had one of the guys that's part of this d3 hockey group uh, one of the colleges up in wisconsin and they started a youtube channel and then rolled in when nil came out rolled into you know uh, making a business, you know, off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, I thought it was interesting because it was D3. Uh, you know, again, mm-hmm. D2, and you're right. You know, this is, you know, at least in the common space, it's thought of as a D1, and maybe as a Power Five uh, only, air quotes there thing. But you know, you, again, you're pioneered on the D2 side, and these guys are D3. Uh, but one of the things that really struck me, and that I wanted to ask you, is they have learned. So much more. It was almost like an internship, if you will, of business. Instead of just being in the classroom and maybe in a uh, you know a more formal type of internship, like they had to learn how to go into businesses and negotiate deals. They had to learn how to when things went wrong. When they you know oh when we were supposed to do X Y and Z and we didn't, how do we make up for that? They, like they had to learn a lot of the stuff on their own. Which, golly, I, I was little listening to it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'll hire that kid. That kid already knows <laughs> what the heck we, yeah. we have to do on the business side here. What things have you learned that weren't, I mean you got a great education, Ashland University is a great academic institution, so you have two great degrees, an undergrad and an MBA from there that are invaluable. What are some of the things as you have gone through these past, I'm going to call it 12 months, we are not even at 12 months <laughs> for you, uh, that you've learned that was like, oh yeah, you know, we, t- we talked about this in, in business school, but when I had to sit down at the table and do it, what, what are some things that you've learned through this process?
2: Yeah, so like you said, I mean, Ashland's a great school. All these colleges are great programs. Then at the end of the day, there's nothing like the school of hard knocks, right? There's nothing like actually sitting there yourself, looking over it. So something I've always done with each deal is I read the contract over twice before I even send it to our compliance director. Because I want to make sure I fully understand what I'm getting into. And then when I send it to them, then they can double check, make sure everything's okay. See if there's anything I missed. Um, What I've learned Is kind of just looking at the contracts and seeing like, because again, you learn about contracts in business school, but actually sitting there, seeing the contracts, looking at the clauses, seeing that I have to do so many posts per month or seeing that there's any time I want to end it. I I have to, I can reach out to a company and end it at any time. But then there's like a 30 day period where once I reach out to them and say, Hey, I'm done with this, I just, this isn't, this isn't working for me. Then there's a 30 day period where I'm still with them, but then it ends. Whereas for some companies, for me, I, do, I have the 30 day window, but for them, they can end it immediately. So, another thing is to make sure that the contract says they can't end it without cause, right? I don't want them to end my contract just because they want to end the contract. You have to make sure, with some companies are different, some companies are going to have that. So, for me, I turned down a company because they had. I can't remember what the clause was. Oh, it was a non-compete clause. So this it was a supplement company. And I won't, I'm not going to say names or anything, but there was yep. a supplement company that I, yeah, no. There was a supplement company that I wanted to work with and they I reached out to them, they were interested. But then I saw in the contract, it said whenever the contract ends, there is a non-compete agreement for two years. So for me, I had heard of non-compete agreements. I know what non-compete agreements are. But then seeing that it was two years, I'm like, I'm a college athlete. Okay, I'm going to my fifth year. Let's say this contract, it's a great contract. Let's say it lasts the entire year. But then I'm like, you know what? I don't want to re-up. I feel good about it. But then there's another two years I can't work with another nutrition or supplement company. Like that's not great for me business-wise. That's not great for me as an athlete. So I asked them, I was like, "Can can we waive that clause? Or can we make the contract more beneficial in other ways for me? And they said no. So I was like, okay, I respect it. Um, I'm not, this isn't going to work for me. And they respected it too. A lot of times if you're just straight up with companies, you're respectful with them. They'll be respectful with you. So just make sure you fully understand what you're getting into in terms of what you have to do, what, what's expected on their end of the bargain. And then always look out for like non-compete agreements or stuff of that nature, because that's when things can get really tricky.
1: Yeah, two years seems a little harsh. <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, we, yeah, we want to lock you down. You ain't gonna do any competitors, right? What a, are there yeah. any other non-negotiables for you? So a long non-compete. That sounds pretty obvious. I mean, that's. I'm glad you are able to read it because you sign it. You sign it, right? So it's good to yeah, you to sign have it. That it's discussion there. before you sign. Are there any other non negotiables Again, you're right. Not naming any names of companies and things. Yeah. like that. Was there anything else? Like, like, man, this company wanted me to do X, Y, Z. That ain't my brand. I'm not having it.
2: Um, I like to have an out. So like I said, like that thing where I can reach out to them, and say, Hey, I'm done. 30 day windows fine. Like, I just like to make sure there's a way I can get out with little to no consequences, because companies want that too. companies want to be able to get out of the contract, just as easy as we want to in case they can something happens. Right. So I respect that I just want to make sure I have that same liberty. Um, other non negotiables. I don't want to do too much stuff per month because I don't like to flood my social media with a bunch of ads and stuff like that. Because when you get to that, you kind of start to lose that integrity of your social media. So for one of the companies I work with, I have to post two Instagram stories a month or do a post a month. I'm like, that's fine. Because I can do Instagram stories because they're up, they're gone. It doesn't really bother people too much. But if you start seeing me post like three times a week and two out of three times it's ads, people are going to like, you gonna start to lose interest with me with my social media, so I like to make sure that I'm not the requirements aren't anything too often because then it's just kind of flooding my social media.
1: Do you have to? I remember this from um, the Fire Festival. Did you ever see any of those um, documentaries? They did a couple of documentaries on the Fire Festival. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say? I've heard. I've heard
2: about it. No, I have not watched it. You
1: you, you would you should watch one. Both of them are lovely. Roughly, roughly, I think Hulu did one, and maybe Amazon or Netflix did one. Um, But uh, what a lot came up with that disaster, (laughs) that dumpster fire really, was all these celebrities were doing ads, they were doing paid ads for it, right? Um, They were getting paid to do, you know, influencer ads, because that's essentially, we haven't used that word yet, but that's what what this is, this is social influencer ads is what these are. Um, And they didn't put hashtag ads or something like that, or hashtag sponsored, and there became some kind of rule, I think, out of that. Do you have to do that for all your, your paid ads, you have to put? That, that notice on there? So own. you
2: can do that. Instagram has a nice feature where if you go to post, it, there's a thing that pops up because my account, it's an athlete account. So it's like a business account so I can see the analytics. And it says, is this a paid post? And I can just, I can say yes. I can list the company and then it goes to that company's Instagram and then they have to approve it to make sure that I'm not just saying it's a paid ad. Yeah. So that's something that makes it easier. A lot of times it's easier to just put hashtag ad, like you said, hashtag ad or ads. Cause then it, it lets the person know, it lets like the, uh, it kind of covers your basis as the person posting it. Like this is a, an advertisement for right. a product.
1: Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know Instagram had that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm much more of a Twitter guy than Instagram mm-hmm. at this point. Um, what, uh, so, you know, you mentioned your calendar. So I have to imagine it maybe you already were because of being a student and an athlete, your organizational, your time management, you know, just staying on top of when I'm supposed to post, when I'm supposed to go to class, when I'm supposed to meet the bus for the meet. Practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to be kind of on point with your, your organization. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've always been an organized person. Like if you ask Coach Clark, he'll say the same thing. But so for me, I just have a reminder on my phone that halfway through the month, I'll get a reminder that says, hey, you have to do two Instagram stories for this company, like get that done. And a lot of times, and that's what the beauty is about it being on social media is, and it, like I said, it all comes back to being authentic and being true to who you are. Each company that I work with, I use their products. Mm-hmm. So all I have to do is have a teammate or a friend take a picture or video of me using the product. And then boom, I can just put it up later that night. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it super easy by using products that you actually use is it doesn't necessarily feel like a chore. you just be like, okay, I just have to knock this out. Boom, it's done. Good to go. That's awesome. And in social media—it's just like we all know how fast you can post on social media. It's just a click of a button.
1: Yeah, I've already sent out 20 tweets since we've been recording this. So yeah, I know how easy. <laughs> <laughs> some some people might think that I'm a big tweeter. So uh, you know, I, I I I average about 80 a day. So. Oh wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. I've hit 300 in a single day before. A a lot of mine. This has nothing to do with nil. A lot of mine is like I think there's uh, so much negativity in the world. So. I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to be the positive oh, yeah. side of it. So 90, probably 95% of my tweets are uh, replying to a kid when they PR or a coach when he says, you know, Trevor hit a PR today. I'll reply and just say, hey, man, PRs are special. Congrats. Uh, or and I, cause yeah. I, love, I love school records. Like to me, that's just a, it's history you know, for your school and your program. I'll say, you know, yeah, man, school records are legacy. So 99% of my tweets are. You know, congrats. To, like they're super small. You know, they get no traction. Uh, and then, yeah. then I have my, my native post, my actually big post. But um, that had nothing to do with NIL. <laughs> no one's paying me mm-hmm. for NIL, trust me. I guess maybe, I guess maybe <laughs> Gil is, I guess. They're paying my name. Anyway, yeah, I Jim mean, Mike, so yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. So talk to me. I, I don't understand this at all. And maybe you don't <laughs> either. I don't know. Again, this is just your opinion. Uh, I've seen this. It's coming up a lot with Texas A&M and Clemson and Ole Miss. The you know, football primarily here is this collective thing what well, what in the world is this
2: so i don't a hundred percent understand collectives but from what i do understand and i could be totally butchering this and if i do please show me some grace here <laughs> if not i mean you can come after me it's fine i can handle it i got thick skin but i believe that nil collectives are essentially companies that are already aligned with the university right so there are companies that already work with the university they might already sponsor athletes they essentially come together and they work together to then kind of make sure that each athlete in a sport is taken care of. Like I know the first NIL collective was, I think, Texas, University of Texas. I think it was called the Pancake Club and it was for offensive linemen. And there was a set dollar amount they were going to pay them. And in turn, what Texas the Texas offensive linemen had to do was they would have to do charity work they could choose any charity in like the Austin community and they would then have to go out and do set. I don't remember how many times they would have to hit a certain number of like charity days or charity hours. And in turn, they would receive, they would receive money for it. Hmm. So that was specifically for Texas football offensive linemen Hmm. and the company viewed it as we pay the athletes, So they're getting compensated fairly because everyone, everyone in football knows offensive linemen don't get enough love. So they're taking care of an underappreciated group of athletes. Mm -hmm. The athletes then get to go out into the community. They get their name out there. They show their face. They become a more integral part of the community. And they do this charity work that helps benefit the community, benefits people who have less. And it kind of helps those Texas athletes then also get a better sense of how big of a role they actually have, not just at their school, not just as athletes, but in the community and in the world as a total. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what the NIL collectives are, is these group of companies coming together, making sure that each athlete is kind of getting a piece of that NIL pie Mm -hmm. while still doing their part either for the companies or for their communities.
1: As a former high school offensive lineman, I love that because you're right. No one <laughs> knew, knew when I was on the field. I was on the field a lot, but no one ever knew it because everybody was watching the quarterback, the running back. And well, hey,
2: if no one knows you're on the field as lineman, it's a good thing. It means you're doing your job.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> really good point. Uh, so I, I assume this is because of the NIL culture. You know, we're starting to do NIL here for colleges. I've noticed – um, on social media, of course, where schools, when they're posting a school record or um, you know PR or you know athlete of the of the week from their conference, things like that, I've noticed more and more. Uh, it used to be just a picture of the athlete and athlete's name and you know maybe their event or whatever i'm noticing more and more uh, they're putting this the athlete's Pre- social the media presented in. by oh well, well i think that's more of an advertising thing you know yeah uh, toyota represent uh, you know pays a million dollars to this school so hey on every one of your posts we're presented yeah. by, right no no i've seen the athlete's social media handle on there and i have to think that's the school saying hey look you come to our school we're going to help build your brand like this is we never used to know athletes you know social media twitter handles and stuff now it seems like oh it's much easier to see on the school presenting uh the, their posts and stuff like that what, what other ways have you thought about can a school in a you know again we, we started talking about the coach prim- uh, here about how they can support but I'm hearing more like the coach kind of. The coach can either be a curmudgeon and say, you know, test, test, You shouldn't do this. Or, hey, yeah, okay, go do it. Go talk to Mr. or Mrs. Compliance Director. But yeah, I yeah. bless you. But you still got to <laughs> do your grades. Still got to do the uh, workouts and stuff like that. What What are some things that the school or the program can do to help build that brand?
2: And so, I think the biggest way to help schools help kind of build their brands is through the media department, right? Because at the end of the day, media is what works on social media. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny that I just mentioned Texas for the offensive line. thing. Texas, I remember one of their basketball players, one of their men's basketball players hit a game winning shot and their media team got the video of him like coming in the locker room. People are going crazy, dumping water on him, all that. But what Texas did that was unique was they didn't post it. They, they gave the video to the athlete and let him post it. So a lot of times school media departments are pretty stingy about like not letting their stuff out or they'll post it and they'll let the athlete be like, they'll tag the athlete in it or they'll let them be a collaborator on it since Instagram does that now. But some schools are starting to let these certain like clips or pictures they have, they're giving it to the athlete letting the athlete post it. And obviously you make them tag their school sports page in it. But when you give the athlete that power and that access to the media that's already there, the school already already had the video, but they then let the athlete post it, it helps the athlete grow their brand, it helps give them high quality content, it helps give them access to things that they necessarily didn't have access to before.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I've seen some companies pop up. Like that, I think one of them maybe is called Influencer. It doesn't have an, you know, it's cool, so it doesn't have the e at the c e r c r. Like yeah. that Twitter used to be. Twitter used to be No T W T T R because that's the yeah. cool, that was the cool thing to do back then, right? So I've seen like a company called Influencer. I know there's more companies out there uh, that kind of collate all those media images, right? The pictures and the videos, and then automatically dump it into Trevor's account. And so now you get to go, oh, that, look, this great picture. of me. okay, I'll use this one for yeah. X Y and Z. Yeah. That that's so like. That's so cool because, I mean, we're always starved for media. As much as social media is out there, we, we want to see pictures of ourselves. And I, I had a um, – I was doing some media event where there's a podcast or an article, and they wanted a picture of me when I coached. Well, man, I my last year of coaching was 05. <laughs> self, cell phones weren't around, so it's not like everybody yeah. had a camera like it is today. There's just no pictures out there. And it's like, man, I wish there was some kind of collective to, you know, videos and, and uh, photos of things back then to use for prosperity. You, you're gonna be able to see all these amazing photos and videos of you 20 years, 30 years, y- your kids, your grandkids are gonna be able to see Grandpa Trevor hurdle. That, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really, it really is. It, you, you know, uh, your recent uh, head coach, Judd Logan, who was a superstar athlete. So a lot of photos and videos of him were taken throughout his career and it's still hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. we just didn't have the access. I just love that longevity of like, man, we're going to be able to to see our history so much easier because of what's going on now. So I love companies like that that are helping the athletes to uh, increase their social media uh, content. You know, the the actual quality of the content, not just you know 140 char- 280 characters or whatnot. You know, I like that. So Trevor, as we start wrapping up today, man, what el- what else can you think of that we should know as coaches? As, um, and you know, we've been talking college primarily here for maybe obvious reasons, uh, but I have seen where high school state uh, states are allowing this too. And I think there's, I don't want to say it's 20, uh, 50-50 right now, but it's getting close to where about 50 high sc- uh, state associations allow NIL uh, versus don't. Like uh, there was a famous quarterback in uh, high school in Texas who left early so left his senior year early to go to Ohio State because Texas yes. wouldn't allow high school Nil so he goes to Ohio State makes a lot of money transfers by the way and I can't remember where he transferred to but I, I he transferred way. to yeah where to Texas oh did he come back to Texas that's funny. yeah yeah he, he wanted those uh, pancakes that's what he wanted um, <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting that I, uh, because the state association wouldn't allow it he left early so fans didn't get to see him play and didn't get to see his senior year because uh, he can go to ohio state and make nil money there Um, so there is a high school play here there's high school coaches involved uh, that have uh, skin in the game here obviously college coaches as we wrap up trevor what what other hints suggestions tips might you have for for coaches out there that are on the fence for this nil thing
2: so a common misconception with nil is that the only people get nil deals are the best athletes and that's not true. Hmm. So there's, there's this company called open doors. Okay. Hmm. They are, they're pretty much the main leader for NCA NIL. Like they're partnering with a bunch of colleges. They help kind of take care of the compliance stuff for companies. They do a great job of figuring out like how much athlete posts are worth stuff like that. So they'll post like the top earning potential for like athletes in March madness, stuff like that. I have found through their company and just through research of my own the athletes that have made the most money off of NIL are not necessarily the most popular athletes or the best athletes. It's the athletes that have the best social media presence. So a great example of this is the Cavender twins. If you guys don't know who they are, they're a pair of twin female basketball players. If they're at Fresno State, they just entered the transfer portal. They are huge on TikTok and they've made. A ridiculous amount of money from name image likeness because they have such a big social media following. Another great example is I don't know her name, but there's a female gymnast at LSU. She has a great presence on TikTok and other social media. So she makes a ridiculous amount of money off of the NIL. When open doors did their post for top earning, top earning potential for March Madness athletes, three of the top five athletes were female basketball players. I think there was the one star basketball player at Duke. I don't know his name. I think he's he's number five. I can't remember his name. And there was one other guy, but the other top three players were all female basketball players. And a lot of that is because typically you see female athletes have bigger social media presences because you can be the best athlete in the world. But if you only have like 500 followers on social media, you don't have a big outreach, you don't have a big following their, your marketing isn't going to do much for that company versus this female basketball player that has a hundred thousand followers. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you're seeing more of.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. So you, so your, your suggestion tip hint is don't think of just your quote unquote stud athletes. Like it could go all the way down to your 10th person on your cross country team. There's more factors involved than just your athleticism.
2: Yes, hmm. there's more more than just your athleticism and, there. And,
1: and even your school. Right. I mean, you mentioned Fresno State, which, you know, that's division one and everything. But uh, I don't believe they were final four in the women's March Madness. So they're not, not they're not a big school. Yeah. So it's not like, yeah. You know, they were because I'm surprised when you said about on the uh, on the overall basketball side, if you would have said, hey, you know, what teams were the top five money earner? student athletes from i have said okay well kansas north carolina villanova and uh, duke duke yeah the four yeah. that made the final four like they obviously had stars and you know things like that and you're like oh yeah no no the majority were actually women basketball players uh NCAA yeah. player. that's amazing that's amazing uh, so, so that's what, something to
2: keep in mind that not a lot of people realize
1: yeah no, know 100 absolutely so what's the end game for you here now you you, you got a senior year your last year of um uh, NCAA track. You're going to go out and try to break the Division II National Park. I'm going to be there, by the way, so no pressure. Uh, I'll be in Grand Valley. Hopefully it's warmer than it was last year. Yeah, no joke. Exactly. Yeah, it will. I, I'm, I'm putting it out there now. It's going to be beautiful, beautiful weather. Uh, it's actually, you know, I'm, here's what I'm going to bring in. With the equipment, we're going to bring in wind down the back street but also wind coming down the home street. You're going to actually have, yeah, that's what we're going to bring.
2: As long as as it's wind legal, I'm cool with (laughs) it. So,
1: um, you know, you've got that. And then, you know, obviously, maybe not obviously, you're going to have a pro career and I hope it's extremely long because you're extremely successful. Uh, Have you thought about and it's so weird to say this because you're still have NCAA eligibility mm-hmm. here. But have you thought about after that, like what's, you know, you got an MBA, great degrees here, uh, sports management. Have you thought about what a professional, you know, not track professional career might yeah. look like for you?
2: Yeah, I've thought about it. I Part of me wants to get into college track coaching. Um, part of me wants to do that. Part of me would be willing to be like a high school athletic director. Mm. But another part of me with more of this NIL stuff coming out as things grow is to maybe work with one of those companies like an open doors or go to a school that's very NIL progressive Mm -hmm. and then find ways to help athletes grow their social media and kind of grow their brand because as a college athlete four years is such a short, it's such a small window Mm -hmm. to capitalize on that because even for me as a track and field athlete, once I leave Ashland, Obviously there's going to be Aslan fans that are still going to support me and all that. But that, when that amount of like constant support drops off, because again, most of pro track meets happen overseas, there's not as much stuff. I don't have a media team posting videos of me at meets and kind of posting that stuff. So it then becomes much harder. So I want to make sure I can help. I want to help other college athletes maximize their earning window as much as possible, which is why this is the, This is the second or third NIL related podcast I've done, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is more than track and field podcasts that I've done. Mm -hmm. And part of me enjoys that because I want to make sure I can help athletes, whether you're, whether you're track and field or you're volleyball or whatever, you might be a non-revenue sport, you can make a good amount of money off of name image likeness just by reaching out to companies and just by staying true to yourself and growing your overall social media. Mm
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the full life of a professional 400-meter hurdler. You know, you just <laughs> take that step this summer uh, at the U.S. Championships in Oregon and then at the World Champs because you, you're going to make it, man. I, I just know it. You're healthier this year. Yeah, I know the things <laughs> that came into the trials last year, but um, you're more confident. You're faster. That also helps. Yeah. <laughs> so just super excited to see what this summer and, you know, professional career starts for you. Uh, but I have to think uh, – I just think you have so much value because of what you're creating here that there's some kind of – I don't know if it's, you know, consultancy, your own business, consultancy with one of these, you know, open doors, influencer, et cetera, um, of just helping people. You know, you, you've got so much to get. Full disclosure, when I was listening to Christie's podcast and thought, man, Trevor would be great for our podcast to bring value uh, to those who I'm just so humbled listen to us. Um, there was no hesitation from trevor like, I, I, like it was like yeah absolutely when when do you want to get this done let's let's rock and roll man uh so full disclosure this is not an nil deal here i'm not paying no trevor not at pay. all i'm sorry trevor we're not paying anything here, but, <laughs> uh but you know trevor just it, it was very quick and I, I actually reached out to ernie as well because i'm you know friends with him i was like hey man would he even be interested like you know and, and ernie was like oh yeah like it was very evident of your servant heart of like, I I want to help people. And so uh, I just think that that's, that's your future. Like you're going to amaze people and entertain people with the, uh, the races that you're going to be involved in and the uh, records you're going to break and medals you're going to earn and win uh, and, and all the the money that comes with that well-deserved. Uh, I, I just think there's, I hate to say it's something bigger because, I mean, gosh, in our world, what's bigger than a gold medal, right? But I think there's something mm-hmm. bigger of of helping others uh, to grow and the value that you can give them. I, I just see that in your future. So uh, thank you for being here. Let's help Trevor out. And probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Trevor, one of the easiest ways that we can do that is go follow him on Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. So uh and I'll get this after show. I'll have you uh, message me all the, the links. Uh, so I'll put it in the show notes. But tell us, Trevor, where where can we find you? Where should we go to to follow you in the social media world?
2: Yeah, my Instagram and Twitter are the same. They're both just at Trevor Bassett 30. So it's my name, number 30. They're the exact same. I figured that would be easier for people. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. I have links in my bio. I have a link tree to like all of the uh, NIL like companies I represent for you to like purchase merchandise from there if you want to if not no pressure won't be offended but I have links out there if you would want to work if you want to see what kind of companies I am working with so yeah I mean that's that's the main way to support me
1: Twitter and Instagram I'll have in the show notes it's at Trevor Bassett what is what's 30 what's significant so
2: 30 was my it was my number in high school track I tried to get number three because that's what I wore for basketball but I was a freshman and someone took it (laughs) so I wore 30 and then it's funny, that was right when Steph Curry was getting popular. So I was like, all right, man, we're, we're rocking with it. We're rocking with 30. I love it. I love it. All
1: right, Trevor Bassett, and, and we're going to spell his last name because I got it wrong as well. It's B A S S I. T right? I got, yes. it, I got it right. Okay, yep. Yeah.
2: B-A-S-S-I-T-T. So,
1: yeah, yeah that's right. I can't I kept putting E-T-T. I-T-T. Uh, Trevor at 30, three zero on Instagram and Twitter. That's two places you want people to go to. Yeah. Uh, and then you'll see a link tree for some of the companies that, hey, they're supporting track athletes. So um, I, I'm a big believer in authenticity. I love that your attitude is like, yeah, yeah. If I don't use it or like it, I don't. I don't promote it yeah authenticity is awesome so people that are supporting our track athletes i i think we should be supporting them as well so go go check them out uh trevor man thank you so much um man you know the most uh, valuable thing you can give me is your time and you know you (laughs) give me a lot of time today uh i'm just so grateful that you would uh be so willing again i'm just so thankful for your willingness to be here and help other coaches out and uh hopefully that you know they can see that maybe this isn't the boogeyman Potentially <laughs> we're still learning it, but you know, uh, it yeah. not the boogeyman that, um, you can, you can be supportive of your athletes uh, and and really then it's on the athletes, right? They've got to, they got to go to class and make the grades and they've got to go to the track and make the workouts. Uh, and then you got a job, you're in NIL side. So um, it can't happen. It's obviously can happen successfully. Uh, here's one perfect case. And I know there's other cases in the track and field world where uh, people are making uh, great strides in NIL and still academic All-Americans, uh, athletic All-Americans, etc. So you can still do this on a, on a very high level. So Trevor, man, thank you so much for being here today. I'm just so grateful for you
2: yeah thank you thanks for having me Absolutely. again a- athletes make sure you keep the main thing the main thing mm. school comes first then track then nil stuff you take care of the first two number three is going to be way easier to take care of I so again you. thank you for having me glad i could help out i appreciate it
1: i love it keep the main thing the main thing baby that's love i love it we're out <laughs>
0: Mike, what an incredible journey coach has been on. So awesome to hear their story in their own words. Tremendous proof of the positive effects coaches make on a daily basis. Help us spread the word of this great journey by sharing on your favorite social media channel. And don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. You just might get a shout out on a future episode. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll connect you with another amazing coach.